I'm just feeling very connected to the creatures of the earth, mm. basically. The primordial soup of it all. <laughs> Welcome to Fascism Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Jackie. I'm Hope. And around here, we talk about aesthetics and what they mean, what they say about culture. We are often talking about fashion and art and, you know, maybe some other stuff. It's a conversational podcast. We have opinions. Of course, we're biased. Um, but we do do some doo-doo. We do some research and we put it in our brain and then we vomit it out here to kind of like process that. And I think these topics will interest you guys. I mean, they interest me. So why wouldn't they interest you? Yeah, if they've managed to catch on and ignite the obsessive genes that we both seem to have, then maybe, you know, maybe you'll be into it. And if you are into it, you should give it five stars because, because you know, you're not paying. You're not paying <laughs> us any money. <laughs> Pay us in five stars. We're desperate for those five stars. We're on our knees, hypothetically saying, please, please give us those five stars. Today, we are redoing our Vivian Westwood series. But before we get into that, Jackie, what's trending for you? Oh my gosh, party planning. So it's not even my birthday, but which I like because it's less pressure. I think I would only do other party planning for other people, I'm realizing. I mean, I, I'm down to do my own party, but it's like my own party. I hate inviting people. Like for my friend's birthday, is coming up essentially. And I have done like zero inviting and they had to like remind me to invite. Hope, on the other hand, is very good at inviting people. I love inviting. And I rely on Hope a little too much because I'm just like, Hope's got it. Other people have got it. I hypothetically just assume everybody's got it just because I'm like, they know. Not true. But anyways, we had started planning this party like two weeks ago. And Rai had mentioned it to me like a couple months ago and like kept mentioning it. But like no plans were set in stone. They're like, you got to help me figure out what I'm going to do for my birthday. And I was like, well, we could do this and that, you know. And then they were like, I want a rager. So also, what was the theme that you had come up with? Mine was the romantic era, which is like not Rai's vibe at all and then tell them the theme that rye decided on (laughs) so i was like the romantic era we could all dress in like what is the highway like the oh like empire waist empire west like style dresses or like powdered faces and like updos and then we could drink like old cocktails and like i thought that would kind of like go with the idea of spring and they were like no i think i want to do primordial soup and i was like yeah okay like the exact like i don't know it's just like makes so much more sense for them um i mean like they're non-binary which means they're trans essentially and i feel like there's an overlap in trans people the folks that i know and like some kind of ecology biology obsession interesting like science nerds like that's a big thing that i've noticed in the world and so like uh, like i've invited three of my trans friends and they're like obsessed with this thing and it's yeah it's it's for trans people, I feel like, in a lot of ways. But they started to make a, what's it called, Pinterest board, because you got to. I mean, we don't do mood boards like physically anymore, because that would take up way too much time. So uh, they showed me their Pinterest board, and I was like, this looks like post-apocalyptic, biophilic camp. So we really kind of went in with this. I was like, we need to have rooms that feel like different vibes. So one room's going to be like the space lab gone wrong. So it will look like the plants took over in some capacity. But it's like we've covered the walls right now. And what are those like reflective blankets? Emergency blankets like that they give out after races or like that you put in. Yeah. It's Yeah, I guess it's technically they're for emergencies. They're for emergencies. They're not for when people voluntarily decide to run long distances. (laughs) I mean, this is the thing. Now I feel like we should join like an emergency group or whatever because we have we have the qualifications aka we have like 70 emergency blankets ready to go at any time but anyways are they ready to go or are they glued onto the wall <laughs> no they're not glued we would never glue anything onto the well, wall okay how'd you get it on there very carefully using scotch tape <laughs> and um and then we like got like a neon pink light and we're gonna put up plants set up and like 
yeah, it's going to be interesting. And then the other room is like the, I call it the living room, <laughs> but it's actually the dining room. But it's, I hit their head three times, maybe four times on the chandelier because it's a dining room. Uh-huh. I hate that shit. Yeah. I don't know. I know that it makes sense for the dining room, but I'm always like, we sometimes, you know, have parties. Anyways, um, we had to like work around that, but that's going to be covered in like, pink blankets and we have these like droppy like droopy looking like they almost look like this shape of teardrops almost but they're like pink and like we put a light inside of them and a balloon in it so it's like involves pantyhose yeah so it looks like i don't know either a ball sack tonsils or like droopy boobs or droopy boobs something it looks natural a form a natural form and we're hanging those all over the place and then i've been working my ass off on like the store entryway I know y'all are like, who cares? I care. It's going to look amazing. I've worked really, really fucking hard at paper mache for like six days in a row for just one thing that's like important to me because I feel like I hope would also agree with this on the entryways are like entries into a new experience. So like they're very important to like creating and understanding the space you're about to walk into. Or like getting your mindset kind of for that transference, I guess. Like, cause like from one room to another isn't going to be the same experience, and the vibe isn't going to be the same. So I'm so excited to see it. I I got to put in you know 20 minutes of paper mache support the other night. <laughs> it was very helpful. You have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to see it. I'm really excited for tonight. Yeah, I'm really excited. With that, what is trending with you, Hope? Trending with me is a new way in which I'm experiencing stress. In the past, the way I experienced stress was that I would retreat and I wouldn't want to be around anyone and I would feel like I couldn't be around anyone because I, I don't know, that whatever. It's a stress response that some people have and that's how I would deal with it. They feel like a burden or whatever. Yeah, and you're just like, I couldn't think about socializing or like, I don't know whatever and lately the past couple weeks I've been like feeling way more open and I'm like feeling stressed because I have a lot going on but at the same time I'm like feeling like I'm I'm able to hold a lot of space still for people like a friend came by the other day because they were locked out of their house and they were kind of just this Kasha yeah Uh, and I, we, we had just kind of gotten back from the vet with Lulu, found out we might have to pay $8,000 for testing. I felt really behind at work and yada, yada. And it's like in the past, that kind of thing would have stressed me out. But now I'm, I just feel like I'm able to like enjoy, I, I feel like I am prioritizing like being there for people and like living my life over like making sure I do everything perfectly. And like, yeah, that's all. That's all I have to say. Can I say you've always been good at that though? I don't know. In grad school, I feel like I would really retreat when I got stressed. Well, that's because we had fucking deadlines. I don't know. Like, we had to get shit done. You had to kind of hole up and just get shit done. But I would see people in in our cohort who I felt like could still show up and be relaxed and could still make time to, like, go on long hikes and shit. I know. Those people are usually young, but also, like, I didn't understand them either. I was like, yeah. you're a psychotic bitch. Like... Yeah, I feel like I'm becoming more like that and where it's like there's various things you have to do, but you can't put everything on pause while you meticulously wear away at like one task. I don't know. I think dance has been part of it. It's like connecting with people. I'm just feeling very connected to the creatures of the earth, Mm. basically the primordial soup of it all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so with that, I'm excited. Yeah. Today we're here to talk about Vivian Westwood. Who I would say connected to people. <laughs> I'm trying to make that transfer. Yeah. Yep. She uh, she definitely connected to some people. Some people more than others. Bow chicka wow wow. Yeah. Definitely love to hook up with dudes and hire them. Um, that's what I always got from her relationships. But also. Um, and so we we did a couple of Vivian Westwood episodes last year, and we based it 
largely off of the Jane Mulva biography. And that was published in 1998 and it was kind of done without Vivian Westwood's support and it had a certain perspective. We spent a lot of time talking about the situationists and, you know, we weren't the podcasters that we are today. So we decided that since a lot of people were coming to us to listen to the Vivian Westwood episodes after she died, that we would redo them and read some more develop our perspective more and, you know, give it another go. I went back and I read the book Vivian Westwood, which was written by her and Ian Kelly more recently, like I think probably a couple years before she died. So that is going to shape a lot of this sort of second rendition of talking about Vivian Westwood. So let's dive in. Vivian Westwood is famous for drawing from historical influences and sending messages with her designs. She got her start within the punk scene. She later parodied British royalty in her early runway shows. And later she became very focused on climate issues. And so more so than with other designers, we are drawn to asking questions about her ideologies. How do they develop? And to some degree, how genuinely are they reflected in her work? We're going to do multiple episodes because there's simply too much to say. We want to focus both on her ideological evolution as well as her craft as a fashion designer. And today we're going to focus on her early life, being a teenager in 1960s London, what the punk scene really meant as a movement, and what it meant to Vivian. I want to say also before we begin, she is an Aries, and what she embodies really an Aries being, I would say, which are the cardinal signs, you know, fiery. Yes. Okay, so as we said, Vivian Westwood grew up in a working class family. She's born April 8, 1941 in Tint Whistle, which is a village in the High Peak District of Derbyshire. And she's very bookish, more so than her family. Her family's they like to go dancing. They're, they kind of let the kids just go out around and play. They're not like super concerned with academics and whatever, but she's really into reading and such. When she's a teenager, the family moves to London because the parents are going to run a post office and she experiences some level of culture shock. She feels left out because she's used to a different culture of dance. She says that like no one wanted to dance with her because she danced differently than them. Yeah, she really hated London. I remember that in the Jane Mulva. Oh, really? Yeah. She goes to art school. She comes from gra- like the grammar school. I don't really understand the English school system. I don't either. But she went to grammar school, and that's something that comes up later that like is specific to her. And so in London, she goes to art school. She's taking a jewelry making class. She's taking a dress making class. And while she's at art school, she becomes trad, which I think is funny because it's not trad like that, what we know. It's tradi- It stands for traditional jazz. Oh my God, that traditional wife. Right, right. Which is horrifying. Anyways. And most people at her art school were trad, and she started to be trad. She wore long skirts with So this a is like a style. It's an aesthetic. It's an aesthetic closely linked to jazz music. Interesting. And it's kind of like bohemian. Bare feet, headscarf. Wasn't her art school days short-lived, though? Yeah, and she makes friends with someone at school who's also working class, and this friend gets her into London urban fashion, which again, revolved around modern jazz, a.k.a. mod. And then again, that's different than the mod that we know now. Mm, interesting. In what way? Do you know? It just has the same name. They're both aesthetics, but this one is... I guess they're short for modern? Yeah. Okay. So modern at the time was different from modern later on. Yeah. And like the boys were wearing boxy Italian jackets called bum freezers and the girls were wearing pencil skirts and beehive hairstyles. And as part of art school, they're like going around to museums and going to see art. And this is really eye opening for her. But like you said, it was short lived. She dropped out because according to her, she was too working class to believe that someone could make it as an artist. So she becomes a teacher. She focuses on teaching art. And this is like at a time when curriculum really wasn't set. If you were a teacher, you could just kind of like she would take them out into the wilderness to like forage for plants. They would like go to Russian plays like. I would love for her to be my teacher. Here's the thing. I still as a working class person, it's even harder now to become an artist. I feel like there's actually decreased from that time period to now. Yeah, I believe that. So she wasn't wrong for assuming that. And she was randomly lucky at the right place at the right time. Anyways. Yeah, I think especially contextually, and I'm going to go into that more, she was at a time and place when like you were kind of set up to become an artist. Right. 
And so... I'm so jealous. At teaching school, she meets a friend. They're like all going out dancing together all the time. She meets this guy named Derek Westwood. And once again, her, her world revolves around rock and roll, which at the time was very subversive. Like keep in mind that the BBC won't even play rock and roll or Elvis until the six like late sixties. Yeah, yeah, Elvis was too controversial, which is hilarious to me. He was just too sexy. Yeah, and so rock and roll inspires a very specific Americana obsessed look in Britain. Vivian's wearing bobby socks, her ponytail super high on the head. She's making gingham bra tops. She's sewing her clothes, which I think was common at the time. But like, I don't remember ever reading about Anna Wintour like making her own clothes. Because Anna Wintour, I think, was always rich enough not to do that. So do you think it was just like working class people were way yeah, more likely? Yeah, hundred percent. Everybody had to learn how to do it, unless you were wealthy enough not to. You could just buy clothes. Yeah. Um, and so Britain had seen austerity during wartime. Remember when we talked about Lee Miller and it's like there was a lot of clothing, there was a lot of restrictions on the economy at the time and on production, including fashion. And 60% of people polled at this time said they wanted to emigrate out of Britain. And a lot of them did. They went to America and others, Ew. others lived vicariously through the culture and, and rock and roll was like a really big part of that. And so... At this time, men's tailors in central London devised a style based on Edwardian clothing, hoping to sell them to young officers who were like demobilized from the services. I don't exactly know what that means. Officers demobilized. Like maybe they were traveling for the war and then they ended up in London or something demobilized. I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to. Yeah, I'm trying to be like, were they could they not move? Were they paralyzed? I don't think that they were paralyzed. Okay, go on. But <laughs> so they make these tapered trousers, long jackets, similar to post-war American zoot suits, fancy waistcoats. But the target market like didn't end up wanting these clothes. And so then these tailors had piles of unsold clothing and they sold them like cheaply to shops over London. So Those it was were the days, man. And so it was actually suburban youth mostly working class youth who adopted this look and specifically the group that wore these clothes were called the Teddy Boys and they were also associated with rock and roll. Similar to punk, it starts with white, urban, excluded youth and other, and then later like other people adopt the look and the subculture because they're bored and aggressive and things get violent. Um, the Teddy Gangs murder Caribbean carpenter Kelso Cochrane, which leads to the Notting Hill riots. Wait, what? They murdered him? Mm-hmm. So who is he? <laughs> the listeners want to know. Yeah. You just like, someone murdered somebody. Anyways. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, he's black. This was, a, this was a race thing. Yeah, he was Caribbean. So he or and and he was an Antiguan expatriate to Britain. But to be clear about Caribbean, a lot of Caribbean people were brought over by slavery. Yes. Yeah. So the assumption that they are black is because there's enslaved people in there. Right. Okay. Right. So um, I don't know. He, he's just like a guy who gets stabbed by a gang of he's white. Just, youth. He's just black. Yeah. And he's like white people. What these white guys hated that. <laughs> yeah. And so there were there were riots um, or, you know, people expressing the injustice that had happened. And this leads to the idea, according to costume historian Colin Woodhead, of fashionable clothes as a threat to society. Ooh, interesting. Wait, wasn't what isn't isn't this the Teddy Boys? Yeah. Yeah. So we done an episode with that. And then as well, I had talked about this in Edwin Innifel's book because because they end up having a celebration like the black community was like, fuck, we're going to have a Caribbean style like parade. What is it called? It's called like Carnival. Carnival, duh. White person over here alert. Anyways, uh, the Carnival is like a big celebration to kind of be like a fuck you to this whole event because it, the riots were just white people coming in with like knives and to these communities because there was a lot of immigrants of Caribbean and like just uh, African descent coming into this like working class communities and people white people were like could not handle it mm -hmm. so they're really killing people and like these riots last would i think this riot in particular lasts for like a week wow yeah yeah it's really awful um okay and so like i said this is where you start to see the idea of fashionable clothing as a threat to society and you see this in japan as well both the american inspired fashion and the targeting of teens as delinquent because of them being fashionable and this is also when teenagers emerged as a new consumer group. There's this commercialization of sexual maturity. Does that resonate with you at all? Like, basically, this is like the time, this is when teenagers become the center of pop culture. Yeah, I think, I want to say this is also the time period of teenagers existing because there was no definition of teenager right. until 
like the 60s or 70s if I'm correct yeah so there was an obsession with like because it was like they're not adults they're not kids Mm -hmm. what is this age and then the the term teenager presented itself yeah well partly because like you know before that you would be like moving towards parenthood at this point like at 18 or 19 like you see the emergence of a group of people that are sexually mature like they could have children but they aren't yet they're like getting to be they're getting to like live out their youth in like a new and extended way and there's also like a lot of commercialization of it so they become like who there's like this whole new consumer group that people are starting to market to and like new aesthetics are created specifically to appeal to the youth and i've read about this as being the first time we see bubbling up like the first time we see trends being impacted by youth and street style versus like being created by the elite. Basically this emergence of being a teenager and rock and roll has a big impact on Vivian. It's about personal liberation, sexual liberation, and again, closely coincided with the advent of this new commercial class as like the driver of of trends in pop culture. Um, And so this guy, Derek Westwood, he sounds like a really fun guy. You always defended him. Yes, I always defended Derek, but I had a feeling, I had an inkling that he was like a cool guy. And from reading this book, all of my suspicions were confirmed. He's a cool guy, but he's not for Vivian. He, they meet, he's like studying to be a pilot. He would like take her up in a plane and they would go out dancing. He was like very well liked and like fun and whatever. But then they get married. She's kind of like, you just, that's what you do. You're hanging out with them. Everyone's like, uh, what's going on? Like you guys can get married or what? But they were young. They yeah, were like young. 19, yeah. I guess that's what you did back in the day. Like if you were date, if you were fucking someone, you know? Which she definitely was. Yeah. No, no, well. I don't feel like they were religious. There's nothing, there's no purity. She was religious. Was she Catholic? I guess so. I mean. Protestant? She rarely brings it up, but then she talks about the when she stopped believing in God. And I mean, everyone's just more conservative back then. Yeah. Interesting. That's funny that she put that in there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> of course she would. She's like, the day I stopped believing in God. I yeah. can see. I it's can coming up see soon, that. dude. It's coming up soon. <laughs> so they have a baby in like three months after she says she wants a divorce. And, you know, while she's at, with Derek, her life is about getting dressed up and going dancing. Like that's what she was doing. They were putting on their outfits and they were going out dancing. He's a great dancer. He puts on bingo nights and dances to get him through school. Like that's how he's making money. He's a really great dresser. I'm like, I'm like into him. You're like, is, does he have a brother? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And something I learned from reading this book was that it's actually Derek that gets her into music. Like he manages the band, The Who before The the Who. I feel like this time period, I mean, her, she doesn't have an identity. I feel like somebody has to show her and it's usually men she's dating things. And she's like, they got me into this and they got me into that. I'm like, I just, I'm like, maybe you, maybe they didn't. Well, and here's the thing. I think you're right and I think that I've come to see that not as a bad quality in that she really is hungry for ideas and she's like looking for interesting people and it's not just men there are some women that I'll talk about Pam Anderson being one of them she latches on to people who she has muses essentially and she latches on to people and she does like absorb their ideas really childishly sometimes where she kind of just consumes it all without critical thought yeah she does but she does like i just think that she gives too much to these men is what i'm saying i'm like maybe you found it you heard it and then you found your own way like like she goes to museums like she's learning on her own and she's investigating in a different way but it's she i think she glorifies the men in her life is what i'm saying yeah yeah and so what, whatever, they're managing bands, like she's working the door, you know, like she, they're they're doing this this together. But it turns out she was mostly in love with her friend Susan, who was an intellectual. At the, she talks about how like Derek was fun and she liked being around him, but it's this woman, Susan, who she like feels excited to be. It's like she actually is in love with Susan in terms of like, she just is so excited by the ideas that Susan has and whatever. Side note with Vivian Westwood, she's obsessed with this idea of being intellectual. And like, I, it's like, Every time she talks about it, she wants to be around people that, quote unquote, sound smart. Mm -hmm. And it's just a critique I have on her because it's just like she's always like, they're an intellectual. They really thought hard about things. And I'm like, and I mean, isn't that one of the reasons you like being around me? A hundred percent. But like, 
I just don't think it's the only reason, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's like her only thing. Like if they sound smart or have different ideas that, you know, she's never heard of and doesn't, anything else doesn't really matter. Totally. So. Yeah. I mean, and she says that explicitly. She's basically like her pursuit of ideas at times even like comes before her children. Yeah. She, like I said, she loves a museum. Loves (laughs) loves a museum. Um, And while she's pregnant, her brother Gordon, he's dating this American who is very against the Vietnam War and she's around Vivian and she's like influencing Vivian by being like, yeah, the war sucks. And then she also asks Vivian to defend her faith in God and Vivian can't. So she's like not a Christian anymore. And this change in ideology affects Vivian Westwood's decision to to divorce Derek. She's basically like, I'm into politics now and he's not. So I got to not be married to him. Yeah. I feel like there might be a little bit more to it, but... She, yeah, I mean, she also wasn't super into him to begin with. She's yeah. like, I was having fun, but I wasn't in love. And I just decide, whatever. Yeah. I do love a good divorce story. That's all I'm going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> and okay, now I'm going to start to talk about the context that bred this generation of artists. Pop, and for that matter, punk, both of which evolved out of rock and roll through the latter half of the 20th century, were phenomena that could have only happened through a powerful constellation of ideas and influences that have left their imprint all over modern Western culture, but which oddly loop back over again in London in the late 50s to mid 60s and to the dance clubs and art schools that Vivian and Derek knew. Basically, there were post-education reforms in the UK that led to the creation of a bunch of art schools. And there were like art grants for, maybe it was people of a certain wealth class, like basically a lot of working class kids were getting grants to go to art school. Still exists in England and And especially in Germany, but in Berlin, they have a lot of grants and stuff for just like working class artists. Because they care about art. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be like whitewashed. You know how like when we do urban art here, when we like, it feels like it has to, it can't be explicit. It can't be challenging. It's very neutral almost. It never feels like, because it can't be like. Yeah. It can't actually be saying anything. Exactly. Nothing at least too crazy. And that's not the case in these with these grants. There's a lot more artists. It's like the king gives out these grants and then some artist makes some art that's like, fuck the king. And he's like, ooh, well, that hurt my feelings, but it's art. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> There's an exception of like letting the artist be an artist. And I feel like here we're like, I don't know, like in the US that if they were going to let like the art, we're not, there are going to be no political figures. There's going to be no tits. There's going to be no drag. You know what I mean? Like, there's not going to be anything explicitly gay. I don't know. Like, you're not allowed to do a lot of... It's very, It's just, like, for the nature. I don't know. Like, right, right. So a bunch of these new art schools start popping up, and many leading figures in the industry had studied graphic design. And so a lot of the art schools are teaching graphic design more so than other arts. It, there's, like, a real emphasis on graphic design. So all these working-class kids who had been the first of their families to benefit from tertiary education are in these schools and they're learning about art and... God, I'm so jealous. And so this is the story of Peter Townsend from The Who. This is also the story of Charlie Watts, Keith Richards, Peter Blake, John Lennon, Eric Clapton, Freddie Mercury. They all came from this art school system. That makes so much sense. They were all like grammar school kids like Vivian. And so there's this crossover from art to music and from graphics to sales and marketing into running businesses that fused pop, iconography, fashion, music, and happenings. So basically they're learning art and they're like, weirdly learning marketing they're like because they come out with these graphic design skills they become these like weird pop culture machines where they're like critiquing the system but they're also like accidentally really genius at marketing that they had control of their own media mm-hmm. when you are a graphic designer that means you have control of the media and they're in their own little outlet they knew how to create media the, yeah right they knew how to create media they didn't have fucking computers but they knew how to create these really artistic, really eye-catching brands. Yeah. They were creating brands. But with ideas that weren't being sold as mainstream. Right. And it was very tied in with music. Like, the way we have subcultures today, it feels so detached from music. Like, there was emo, but, like, what's happening? It really does. And then there's, like, EDM has, like, maybe an aesthetic attached to it. But, like, now not even as much because all the tech people are into EDM. 
So it's like, you, yeah. it's like they're wearing a puffy coat, but like they go to like Coachella. Do we even have a style? Like that's the conversation that we've had over and over again. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, the internet has really ruined this kind of idea of like nicheness, like. Because you can, you're consuming so many ideas, whereas like there. And you're would, seeing so many ideas. You're seeing so many ideas. And so there, it doesn't actually really have an identity which I'm not saying is good or bad. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. But at the time, it was like if you she would talk about how her and her friend they were mods, and so they wanted mod boyfriends, like they were accessories. They were like, I need to go out and find someone who dresses mod. This feels like very like Harajuku. Yes, and it is like around that time. So and there are these businesses happening. You know, that's what we see with the Sex Pistols and Vivian and Malcolm later. It's like this uh, music art fashion business fusion and so pop musicians pop artists pop designers and the other fashion and boutique scene burgeoning all over britain but especially in london gave a context and reason for the creation of youth cults and the sales they could generate there was nothing commercially sinister or pre-planned in this though the opening up of the educational franchise that hit Vivian's generation, giving access to grammar schools and students' grants to art colleges, allowed working class kids like her, with all their agenda of nonconformity and indeed social indignation, to give expression and image to the rise of consumerism and mass marketing. What? What it, does that mean? <laughs> it's like, okay, basically the educational franchise that Vivian comes from, the art school grants, they allowed working class kids they, that had these ideas of like, we're not going to be conforming. They were like anti-government, you know, like it was kind of like anarchist, the punk values, right? Like it anarchist. Sometimes it's socialist, but sometimes it's more libertarian. Well, not libertarian because that's like the free, like buy up. They were definitely more collective. Libertarian is very individualistic. But But isn't punk sometimes individualistic? I would, I would, I would disagree completely. The whole thing is about community. But I feel like some people took it, like, I feel like that was the roots of it, but maybe some people took it, like, maybe I'm just totally wrong. I know, because it's, like, about sharing information for free. It's about uh, sharing. But isn't it anti-government? Uh, I would definitely say it's anti-government, because an- our anti-government isn't of that. Like, they're usually they're the oppressors, is what, they're, what it is. Of, yeah. And that doesn't allow for this collective group of people to exist without some kind of stigma or even physical violence. So so that's why anybody would be anti-government. You know what I mean? Especially during that time period, there was, in England, there was just like a shrewdness. There. I mean, they were still coming. I mean, like the king and queen were still much very like white supremacist exceptions of like, this is how you act. You yeah. don't show emotion. You don't move. So like that was the norm. They were still actually like holding power essentially still at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were probably anti-monarchy, if anything. But and so, yeah. And so I guess I'm like, you don't hear Vivian or maybe like they don't seem to talk about socialism specifically. Well, because she never really believed anything like politically like that. That's like it's too focused in that. Honestly, I just don't think she had read enough Marxism and stuff like I think she read, but I don't think she ever fell into an ideology that was not her ideal. So I think like, yeah, that's, I don't think she read much Marxism. I just, and I also just don't think she was that interested in following like an actual political party or even understanding a political party. Well, her, yeah, her views have never been specific. Exactly. She's very like excitable and she really thinks in like universal truths. Similarly to what's her face, polystyrene, where it's Mm -hmm. like, it's not about what is the king doing Though sometimes she does get specific later in her life. But like, it's more about they can't control us. They can't tell us what to do. They think it's not okay to be naked, but like, fuck them. Yeah. It's like very like, it's about freedom. Yeah. And also being a woman, even within any kind of po- political sphere at that time, just seems kind of, I mean, it sounds disinteresting because it really doesn't benefit you in a lot of the times. You're st- we're still dealing with the patriarchy within these like socialist constructs like even when I just like going in now and trying to be a part of alternative socialism like there is definitely a heavy sense of like how women I don't know that I think there's just like how women should act kind of yeah it's less fun yeah so Vivian divorces Derek and she starts living with her brother Gordon because he's like hey hey a room opened up and I'm like props to her brother they seem to have a great relationship like and that he's like yeah my sister who has a kid yeah come live with me he's like in art school yeah that's the thing she like really I honestly think it was around this time this reason she also got rid of Derek Westwood was because she started hanging out with her brother again 
And when she's like super jealous of the art scene. Yeah, exactly. She starts hanging out with her brother. His girlfriend is talking to her about the Vietnam War. She's like, these kids are way cooler. And it's like, she thought that the rock and roll dance scene was cool. And then she didn't. She was like, now the art scene is cool. Yeah. I'm going to go check it out. Yeah. Very Aries, I have to say. You really? Yeah, because a cardinal signs are like go-getters or like things. They start things. That's what it's supposed to mean, essentially. And like I'm a cardinal sign, but Capricorn is like we'll get to the top no matter what. Like that's kind of like what that means. But for Aries, let's do it as soon as possible. And they're very like now, now, let's start this now, now. Let's go over here now. And like and gets very involved very fast. Yeah, she she jumps right in. She meets a young chap named Malcolm McLaren. He's homeless, so Gordon lets him sleep in his car outside the apartment because Malcolm is very charismatic, so he's like, everyone wants to do things for him. Um, and then he moves into the apartment, and they're just like around each other. He gets away with that behavior for so, I think till the day he fucking dies. Malcolm? Yeah. Yeah. The way people talk about him, it's like cult leader status. He was definitely like some kind of like sociopath or something, like n- narcissist for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deeply, deeply narcissistic. Deeply narcissist. He would be the Tom Sandoval now. Like, oh my God. Honestly. Wow. If we are, if, this is a Vanderpump uh, Rules crossover. I knew it. I knew it was. <laughs> and like Sandoval is a reincarnation, honestly, of that guy. What's that wow. part of his name? I want to call him, I always want to call him Mark. Malcolm McLaren. <laughs> Yeah, you called him Mark like a hundred times. I'll never not. So at this point, the author quotes Vivian Westwood talking about her love life. And she's kind of bragging about how she's had very few romances and that Malcolm was the first intellectual man she ever had. So I roll, I roll. This is what I'm talking about. I'm like, he was so abusive to her and stuff. Like, I mean, she's cray cray in her own special way. But and that's why she was probably attracted to it all, to be quite honest. She really wanted to be. She really believed in him as an artist. Oh, she really. But here's the thing. She was making the art for him. Well, it's like he was having the ideas and she was embodying them. And she didn't give herself like any credit for what she was. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, you're the artist, though. Yeah. And yeah, also he didn't really make anything. Like he was always the art, I, creative director, as they call them. Yes, yeah. Um, he comes from a weird background. His mom is like maybe a sex worker. What? No, she wasn't. She had like she might have been like a high class like interesting like courtesan. Well, that's cool if she was whatever. But she also owned her own company. Like oh right, she was she, in fashion. That makes more sense because she did have like affairs with a bunch of men and like would leave her kids at home for days. Um, and the Jane Mullivan, they really made her sound like a true slut, like slut shaming her almost essentially. So I didn't like that. I was like, let this woman live her goddamn life. I mean, she sounds like a terrible mother. Terrible mother. But still. <laughs> yeah. But so yeah, she's like, and she does something in fashion or like fabric or whatever. Yeah. She starts her own business in like that, in like fabric something. <laughs> That's all I know. Like tights. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm thinking tights. Sure, yeah. Nylons. Uh, yeah. And she becomes pretty rich. Oh, does she? Yeah. She marries like a multimillionaire. Oh, wow. But That's she, what I'm saying. She, Malcolm is raised by his grandmother, Rose Corey Isaacs. Um, she seems to be like similar to Vivian. She's like doesn't live in reality. She tells Malcolm never to have a fear of not working. But yeah, she also spoiled him. Yeah. So, so she was probably like, don't even worry about working. I feel like there's a part of that. She does sound like a punk, like... A badass because she's like raising this kid to be but she's also sounding like she's reinforcing this narcissistic behavior yes for sure being like you can lie to anybody you can do anything you want i'll always have your back she said being good being good is bad like you know, which i'm again behind but this guy needs to actually be a little good like he needs to fake it at least for sure uh yeah she's like not very committed to his education he kind of lives off art grants for a while bouncing between art schools and then yeah him and vivian hook up maybe she took his virginity who cares cared he fucking cared because he was one of those guys that talked like about openly about sex and how sex should be whatever he's a uh, he gets on my nerves. He's like, he was promoting like having 14 year olds and 12 year olds into yeah. Playboy. So yeah. this guy was just trying to be like as taboo as part, like all the time talking like, about it. And then he was a virgin. Like, yeah. you know, like. Because, because like it was, it's about control. 
Yeah. More than anything, yeah. like it's about, and it's so weird how this movement and him and Vivian do use sex as a tool for like shock and like, mm-hmm. it's really kind of like the stuff that I see now, I guess, coming from a 2023 perspective, because it, it was all kind of just pushing the tabooness of it. Mm-hmm. Just like they were like, had a boob shirt and they're like, men should wear this. And it's just like, actually women can wear that too. And it's just as taboo, if not even more, because women's bodies are just taboo in general. And I was just like thinking about how like, that's not a real, that's a dumb, dumb thing to make and think that you're pushing. You know what I mean? It's still like in this lens of, of like that being a thing that should be shocking or yeah. like grotesque at all. But Exactly. At one point, there's a quote in the book that says, like, sexual liberation is political liberation. And it's like, I was really dwelling on that because... I've really thought about this a lot. So much of politics is control of sex. Totally. I I'm a, I, I have thought about this for so long because I went to this show called Taylor Mac show, like, and he did 24 hours of music from each and of doing 24 decades of U.S. country starting, like, in the 1700s of and, like each decade he would show music from that decade for 24 hours was his whole thing mm-hmm. um but you he only did shows like of one decade you know <laughs> like he did like one big epic 24 hour one anyways he came to the US and he did one of like Andrew Jackson it's like 1860 between 1880 and it was 3 hours long and it was amazing cuz he did songs from that era of Taylor Mack is just a fucking genius playwriter. Anyways, it was very like interactive. But one of his whole things was like you blindfolded half the audience, and then the other but and the other audience members had to sit in these people's laps and like feed them food and like feel their face, and like so you would have like my friend Bruce would be blindfolded and he had he had like an older woman sitting on his lap. And, like, he couldn't see, but he could feel their face. And he was, like, feeding – they were feeding her grapes, him grapes. It was just a very weird – it was trying to showcase that sexual liberation, essentially, is the only liberation. And that was, like, the message that he was really pushing. And we did some other weird, like, uncomfortable, but like, crazy things. And then at the end, we sing Power to the People. So I've been really – like, ever since seeing that show, I was just like, what does that actually mean to be sexually liberated? It's really weird because some of these figures that make sexual perversion or sexual protest part of their brand feel very sexless. And it's like – like, right. themselves as people. Like, I don't know. Vivian Westwood, I think, is actually kind of prude. Like, oh, yeah. You know because I mean? she knew – she, I think, slut-shamed people. I think she – because it was – Again, it was like the the whole that's the thing about the sex liberation that I'm so fearful of being like a part of saying that is because it's it never really helps women. Mm. It's really like women are supposed to be free and slutty, but they're still like Well, that's the thing. Sexual liberation isn't about the freedom to be promiscuous. It's literally about not having the government tell you you can't have birth control. Like, yeah. the, like not like the government being like this is what you're permitted to do reproductively is like really fucking dystopian and so normal for us that's what i think of as sexual liberation that's the thing i don't like the sexual liberation that i've we've seen historically isn't that it's been dominated in this male-centric perspective and i would love it not to be that's what i'm saying i don't so like i don't trust i don't trust the sexual liberation by past history examples that totally we have. well when you use perverse quote-unquote imagery as like the way it doesn't feel like it's about sexual liberation it feels like it's more about just being like fuck you yeah it feels just more about like pushing like boundaries and like un- consent lines almost and like just being like sex is whatever like anyways. anyway malcolm and vivian start hooking up start kind of like a, their pseudo relationship he's around the house all the time she's living there she's a teacher she has a kid from her first marriage, Ben Westwood. She's 25. He's 19. And pretty soon after they start hooking up, she gets pregnant. And his grandma gives her money to get an abortion. So she doesn't get an abortion because she doesn't want to. And when we first read the Jane Mulva book, she's basically like, yep, she just decides to buy an outfit instead. But from her perspective, she's walking to go get an abortion. I can't remember if Malcolm's with her or not at the time. I think they're not because like... Well, they're not together together, but yeah, he is mad at her keeping the baby. Well, yeah, but he doesn't know she's going to keep the baby yet. So I think he was like going to, I think maybe he was like, 
whatever, either way. She's going to get the abortion and then she's like, no, because she realizes that Malcolm's amazing, she says. I realize like how good of a person he was. Like, uh, That sounds like hormones from the baby, baby. <laughs> yeah, and she says, when I met Malcolm, I fell in love. I thought he was so beautiful and I still do. I still treasure the experience of Malcolm. A world without Malcolm would have been like a world without oh, Brazil. This is, this Did is you hear? No, listen to this. A world without Malcolm would have been like a world without Brazil. What's her love of Brazil? I don't know. I'm like not sure she's even been there. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. She makes no sense sometimes. Like yeah. she says, like she's trying so hard to sound smart. Not, no, it's like I hate being so bitchy, but like she is very, the, the reason she's so attracted to Malcolm is because she's so insecure, essentially. And her, especially her, when she talks, I think she wants to sound intellectual sometimes. And then she comes out with like, she's like, I know Brazil exists. Okay, so I'm going to show you how Brazil exists in this weird context. Also, I just like I'm I, this make, this is the shit that makes me mad at Vivian. I'm like, stop, girl. Like, no man's that great, especially this man. I know. Whatever. So Malcolm makes art. They're called happenings, which I got invited to a quote unquote happening recently. Really? And, and now I'm wondering if it was a situationist inspired thing. I just thought it was like a little art event. I went to it and it was like, remember I told you there was like very loud piano. Oh yeah. And I'm like, did I just not get it, man? <laughs> okay. So Vivian now has a baby named Joseph Corey. They give him Malcolm's grandmother's last name. And then she has Ben Westwood and they're still all living in this apartment together her brother Malcolm I don't know maybe there were other people as well Malcolm is still in art school and he's very influenced by the situationists which I'll get into in a little bit but he's making these things called art happenings and like there's this one that's like a maze sounds very installation art fire hazard like the shit that I would go to when I lived in Oakland and you know she goes to it she'll bring Ben she'll wander around this maze at like Sounds like it took a really long time and it like wasn't, it was like maybe type too fun or maybe the kind of thing where you're like, okay, so I guess that was art, but uh, probably not that child friendly. In her perspective, he would like sometimes set up these cool, myst- magical little things that would dazzle the kids. And she, and like, so maybe she had these glimpses of like, oh, look, he's like so good with the kids. But from his perspective, he's like, no, he like really didn't want to have anything to do with Ben and pretty much didn't want to have anything to do with his own kid either. He like refused to be called dad. Dude, he was, this is why I'm mad at Vivian again. This is when I'm like, Vivian, all she does is talk like great on Malcolm still to the, like to the up to the day she died pretty much in this book she goes like a little more open she says like when someone's al- she says like when someone's alive you have to like respect them but like the dead deserve the truth I don't know like so she was like I'm gonna lay into him a little bit more but she so like she's the one talking about how like he yeah like wouldn't let the kids call him dad he like wasn't around she was basically raising three kids like she took care of them it was like she was his mom and she just wanted to be around him really badly because of the ideas that he had or that she was like... She would do anything for him and he treated her like absolute shit. Absolute shit. He was also, I think, helping pay rent. Like, I think that maybe they were sharing rent so that could have been like a... That could have been a bit beneficial for Additional sure. benefit. Um, I just don't think he was though because he was like at times just not paying anything, I'm sure. So yeah, she's, so she's working as a teacher. Like she's... She's the only one with a job. Yeah, she's like writing He's teacher's in lessons at still. night. Yeah. And then she goes and teaches and like drops his her baby off with like her mom in the morning. She asks him to drop the baby off in the mornings because she said it was too much for her to do. And he was like, no, I'll take that baby to the orphanage today. And she said, and he would have. She was like, he would have done it. I couldn't let him, I couldn't let him hold the, help him hold the baby because he's like, no, I'll just take it straight to the orphanage. I hear this. I'm getting madder and madder by the moment at Vivian. I'm making lunch plans. I'm too high to hang out with my dad right now. <laughs> so Vivian and Westwood, Vivian and Malcolm basically like go into business together. They're opening up stores on King's Road. I mean, it's unofficial, right? Like it's him and she's like making all the things and doing all the things, but not 
getting credit. But so they opened up the store in Kings Road, which is like this epicenter of subcultural aesthetics, vintage clothing, etc. Anyone who's like talking about London in the 60s who's into fashion like talks about Kings Road. But that's mostly because of Vivian's shop. Like, I mean, there was already vintage stores. It was cool, like music stores and like stuff like that. But I think it put it on the map because Vivian was there. Yeah, made it like way more famous. Over the years, they have several different stores. I won't name all of them, but one of the first ones, if not the first, was called Let It Rock. And so they were really catering to the rock and roll aesthetic, the Teddy Boy resurgence. Vivian was going out and thrifting pieces and then, you know, either just selling them as is or upcycling them, modifying them in some way. And eventually, as it becomes harder to find those things in thrift stores, she just starts, you know, making everything from scratch. She's very good at just like looking at a garment and essentially like reproducing it herself she did everything again i it doesn't surprise me in the best like the best thing for malcolm was to keep vivian around like and she just didn't see that anyways yeah so they kind of get tired of rock and roll and they transition to punk the punk aesthetic they create a store called sex sex is written in big letters and it's no longer on king's road and punk is taking off it punk is actually brief in the proper like punk years, they were short. But during the time that it's happening, many people agree that Vivian and Malcolm were the epicenter. They formed the band, the Sex Pistols, they're addressing them, and apparently Vivian was writing songs for them. Did you know that? This is what I was kind of saying before where we get these super brands where they have this store called Sex, where Vivian is making these clothes and they're selling them and it's this punk aesthetic and you have musicians coming into the store and so they are like, let's form a band and the band wears the clothes and it's just all part of the same thing. And so I don't know if Vivian is still teaching at this point, but it sort of seems like she kind of starts to dive more deep into this whole thing that her and Malcolm are doing and you start to see like his ideologies and I guess her ideologies too coming through in like the the clothes that they're producing and you know he's being very influenced by the situationists right now and so he like opens up her world introduces her to the writings of John Berger the Marxist art critic to the anarchist ideals to the work of the French situationists okay so they it is anarchist oh the situationists are yeah, and so they were punk. Like, that was, like, a big aspect of punk. Mm, yeah, the the situationists are definitely deeply trying to... Basically, they are trying to put a ring into productivity in any way possible. Right. So, like, yeah, that was, like, a push against... The, they were just, like, really trolls, quite honestly. Like, mm-hmm. that was their whole thing, was mm-hmm. just to make things inconvenient in, in mind and, and body and, like, definitely within the government. Demand something coated in gold. What was it? Uh, demand the impossible. And there's a there's a famous picture of Vivian Westonwood in the 70s wearing a shirt, a button-up shirt that says that. Yeah, they were making these shirts, these, like, graphic yeah. shirts. Yeah, they were deeply involved with the situation. Before Guy Boyd. I'm definitely saying that wrong. They, everyone wants to correct me all the time. But anyways, before he became, I mean, he was also another narcissist. He actually hung out with, like, Malcolm, I think, at some point. Anyways, but... Malcolm claims they met, but it's it's not confirmed. Okay. But they hung, like, he is definitely a deep narcissist and wanted to have full control of the, nar- the, the situation is. So he, like, basically fired the art critic that you're talking about. Like, the and left only, like, three, like, not artists. They were focusing on geography and, and mm. politics. That was what he wanted to focus on. Is And then he's like, I need to get away from the art world eventually. And that's what came out of, like, the whole mapping thing. So, anyways, this is the era of when art was still very important involved in the situation is that changed yeah so the founding document in terms of what later became punk could well be said to be Guy Debord's the society the, you know the society of the and the spectacle and Debord was the theorist in what became known as the situationist international founded as early as the 1950s but like yeah it gains more ground in the 70s um especially in the, well the 60s late 60s because their book mm. um that they wrote and that's where they and I forgot the book's name but that's kind of like became the manifesto of that whole movement. Right. And so the situationists declared that artists and thinkers were morally obliged to break down the definitions between art and real life in order to evade the commercialization of the former. In other words, artists and activists were emboldened to deliberately flummox their viewers and audiences and act ideally as agent provocateurs in creating ridiculous, potentially risky happenings as an absurdist comment on the status quo. 
Art as well as protest was to be on the streets and know no barriers. Taste and structure went out the window along with accepted media or the structures of gallery or press or academy. Basically, they're like, you have to disrupt art in order to prevent art from being commercialized. Yes. Like, because if people know what's, what is quote unquote good, if there's a, a culture of good taste, then art becomes too valuable. Yes. This is this is buzzing my brain right now. I'm getting excited because I I'm I want to fill in the gaps of some things. Like the, Malcolm took this to heart truly for the rest of his life. And his whole thing was disrupting with media. Like that was like he was an influencer before influencers existed. And but his whole thing was to just like be a pain in the ass to mainstream. By being mainstream, it's kind of like funny because it was obviously he was counter, but like he was all like, for example, like creating, you know, sex was to to be disruptive. Like there were a lot of things like creating the Sex Pistols was to be disruptive. And then he created another band. Oh, fuck, I forgot the names, but they were at the first show of the Pirates because Vivian Westwood created the this band of pirate clothes, which included a 12-year-old, 13-year-old girl that I was telling you about. Like, he wanted her to pose for Playboy, Playgirl. Anyways, because um, they were going to be pirates of the radio. So they were pirating the radio and playing these songs that were, like, talking about pirate, like, stu- how, teaching people how to pirate the, the media. So it was all kind of intertwined. And he did that, like, that was his whole point of being an artist. Um, I think that what made him so interesting is because he knew his art history on top of like the situationist mythology. He's really a sociopath. <laughs> Truly. But like kind of. Interesting and it's he's fucked. He's like kind of interesting as fuck. Yeah. And it's just fucked because it's just like, I would never, I would be like, you're an asshole. I would never go hang out with him. But I, I'm interested in everything he's interested in. Mm-hmm. So that's what's always kind of disturbing. Yeah, and there's like this reckless abandon of like anything being possible, even being like super, super mean to the woman who had your baby. Oh, I mean, yeah. And all the other women. He hated women, except for his grandmother. And apparently flash mobs are like kind of situationist. That's hilarious. That's so true though. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like a happening and it like makes no sense and there's no point. Is that like why it's situationist? Yeah, like I think they like would go into like government buildings and just like throw paper and like do crazy artist weird shit and then just leave like yeah he was always and he was trying to get her to do stuff like that too he would like he'd be like you go to this place and do this thing because like he never did it because he was he had absolutely no courage <laughs> yeah because he's a little fucking pussy that's yeah. the thing yeah and so he would try to get vivian to do it and she kind of didn't she was like uh, i just like to make the outfit yeah. I'm not going to go do this thing. Yeah. But they did do, like, they protested in his, at his art school at this time. Mm. Um, and it was a stupid little thing where all the students kind of barricaded inside their art school. And, of course, their whole thing was demand the impossible from the situationists. And so they had, a, they would send out, like, list of things that they would demand to, like, unbarricade the school. Basically, they held the school under hostage until, and one of them was, like, turning gold, like, sculpting with gold, which I don't know if you can, you, it's, almost it's impossible to sculpt with gold so that was like them demanding the impossible so it was like silly stuff like that and then eventually when summer came along they were all like oh yeah we don't actually care we don't we want to be in doing summer stuff let's let's go to france it's time to it's time to sun yeah okay so basically situationism is inspiring their fashions they're putting phrases like be reasonable demand the impossible on shirts or it is forbidden to forbid which is like you can't do that you can't tell me not to do that i do love that i know i kind of do too this is what i'm saying like i love this pushing the boundaries and taboo even though i hate it even though it's you're they're being total trolls so this author says you can't overestimate the effect of situationism punk and vivian and malcolm they brought street fashion into high fashion it allowed many forms of expression and protest to be discussed as art and it helped fuse the already related worlds of pop music art graphic design and fashion into one insistent roar of defiance called punk. So as they move from rock to punk, they open up the store called Sex and that's where the Sex Pistols come from. They like form the band within They were the a store. formed boy band. They were a boy band, yeah, formed to specifically be like punk like front people. Yeah. They were literally just there to push They're like the go-go dancing being yeah. like, "Yes, you should be a punk." <laughs> come buy clothes at Sex the store. <laughs> Exactly, because they just hung, hung out there and did nothing. And they're like, I guess we can make a band. 
Mm-hmm. Well, Malcolm was like, you're making a band, yeah. actually. Yeah, she's like, don't worry about it. I'll write the songs and I'll make you the outfits. Just, Just do a lot of drugs and yell. Yeah. And so she was making these graphic tees. Some of them would be sexy, like you were saying, with the boobs on them. Like some of them, one of them was like two cowboys with like their dicks touching. That was a very, very popular one. Yeah, I think that's what Brokeback Mountain is based on. <laughs> it's called Brokeback Mountain. That shirt was called like Brokeback Mountain or something. Was it really? Yeah. That's pretty genius. Um, Oh, they should have sold that for their media. That should have been like part of their marketing campaign. Yeah. But it it wouldn't have been tasteful. It wouldn't have been like, yeah, a beautiful love story. Dude, that movie has such bad wigs and we don't talk about it. (laughs) I I haven't actually seen it. Okay. Anne Hathaway in that blonde wig is all I'm going to say. Ooh. Um, As she was making these graphic tees, Malcolm would disparage is disparagingly call it her potato printing. You know how like, you know, like those, there's that mommy craft where you like make stamps out of potatoes and like you, have you ever done that? You stamp onto things? Oh yeah. I, I, it is like a stupid kid thing, but I've definitely done it for serious stuff. Like when I had a vintage store, I did a potato design with the design I made. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's like, it's one of those things that gets disparaged because it's for women. And like, that's why he was saying it. Like he was disparaging her being like, oh, you, you printing your little shirts. It's like, yeah, the shirts that are like, making your business what it is like he didn't want her to know she was a genius exactly he that's why he tore her down and that's why most men tear them tear women down is because they are frightened by the fact that they're gifted and they're jealous yeah they're truly jealous so if any man's taking you down and making you feel insecure it's because he sees something in you Mm -hmm. um and he's like i gotta kill it before it realizes it's better than me Mm -hmm. um and I think that's just like an internal thing that men are taught to do, like because they think they have to be competitive and the best. Um, anyways, toxic masculinity. There was a point to this. I made. I just want to like start doing again, but like yeah, the potato pillars. I would make my design that I made, which was fucking hella cute, and then I'd put it on all my like paper tags, and then I would just like. Ooh, I want to do that for the party tonight. I have what? some potatoes. Oh yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> So Vivian says, my job then and my job always was to confront the establishment, to try to find out where freedom lies and what you can do. The most obvious way I did that was with the t-shirts. She makes a t-shirt of Marilyn Monroe getting pissed on by Jesus and her son remembers her making it in the house and being like, mom, I don't get it. Do you like Marilyn Monroe or no? And she was like, it's not about that. It's about shock. It's about being shocking. See? Yeah. And I mean, one time I posted something on TikTok and I, I said like, oh, surrealism was just for shock. And someone said that, people are always discounting artistic messages as just being shock value. And it's a way to like disparage an artistic message. But I don't know. It made me want to learn more about what they were saying. Cause I was like, maybe that's maybe saying I, I read a lot of art as shocking and maybe it's not a very like nuanced way to look at things. Surrealism was ran by it's again, it's through the male perspective and their version of shocking like versus, I don't know, like why is that more shocking than like the image of someone getting like murdered or something? Yeah. Or like, why is the shocking of two guys kissing like to me that's not shocking but like they use like it's the it's toxic masculinity's view of shocking right 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 right, totally um but yeah it's a hard time for vivian but like when her and malcolm did go out which was rarely they would just like stand out everyone knew who they were she looks amazing and she finds comfort in clothing like she really believes in clothing as a tool for feeling good she thinks that like if you want to do good work you have like or if you want to make change you have to look good because people will listen to you more it's like kind of like sad but true kind of a thing where you're like I don't know, but it's not about looking good in terms of like conventionally beautiful because even as she gets to be in her 50s, she's like, I have a saggy neck, but I still think that like anyone in the room would be stupid to not think I'm beautiful and amazing. She got there later on in life because she did not think that while she was with Malcolm. But she does like take a lot of comfort and pride in like getting dressed up and he's dressing her like he's spending her his art school money on outfits for her. Like she's his little doll. She like loves it. That she's making. Well, he's buying her a lot of clothes also. But yeah, she's always, she's making a lot of stuff. Yeah, they really get into this look, aesthetic. Yeah, and Malcolm's bringing a lot of ideas to the table, but and she's hungry for these ideas. And she translates them into, you know, art, essentially clothing and graphics. And Malcolm is really jealous. He's even jealous of his son's talent. He later su- threatens to sue his son for like copying their designs. Like, he's like, oh, you're copying, like, their store, like, World's End or whatever, his store with Vivian, and he tried to sue his son. 
or like almost sued his son. No, makes perfect sense. That's Malcolm. Which for is you. like it sucks because uh, they had to split up the business. Her and Malcolm, but it's like he wasn't making those designs. He wasn't doing anything. He was oh. just making the band and happen. And sh- yeah. And so Sid Vicious dies, and Vivian says to Malcolm, "Should we do music or fashion?" And he says fashion, and he tells her that it should be romantic. He's, and she's like, "Okay." And people ask her what they're doing next for the next collection. And she says, it's going to be romantic. So that's basically sort of the end of punk as the primary ideological influence on Vivian. So I think that's where we will wrap it up. Cool. Yeah. The punk era was actually kind of short lived. And also this is if you guys ever listened to the polystyrene, she was also involved in this era. So just like the late 60s, early 70s, especially she was there. And I just think that's kind of cool. Yeah. If you haven't, you should listen to our polystyrene episode because she was a really amazing punk icon. Yeah, and she would look in Vivian's shop for inspiration, and I, yeah, it's like Vivian has that, her fashion aesthetic during that time period and beyond, as we'll get to, really affected people to their core, to their spine almost. Like, it was a visual, like, it sh- it shifted ideology. It shifted how mm-hmm. we see art. Mm-hmm. Forever. Forever, yeah, and... I think that's really fucking cool. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Um, Okay, I love you. I love you so much. Bye.